There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors, Drogheda and Dundalk. Our Dacia 211 pre-order sale is now on. Test drive a brand new Dacia today. Fantastic APR, no deposit and deferred monthly payments. Check out blackstonemotors.ie for details on our amazing new car offers. Oh, brr, there's definitely a brr in the month, isn't there? Do you remember that one from the uh, television many, many moons ago? When there's a brr in the month, you need your porridge. It's certainly cold, isn't it, folks? But you know, beautiful. I woke this morning real early and to see the blanket of snowfall outside, it was just lovely. Now, it wasn't that much, but it did cover and it was cold. And you know what? You know those mornings, you know what I'm talking about. It's oh so quiet and still and it really was. And then there was a job to be done. I got straight into it at the crack of dawn this morning and it's oh so bare now. Yes, the decorations came down. I have it all done. Got it done in the first hour of the day after uh, I got up today and it is bare. It's really bare, isn't it, after the Christmas and all the lovely decorations and cards and everything and lights around the house. But there you have it. That's the way the year marches on. And we march on on late lunch this afternoon with a full two hours for you of music, uh, fun and very special guests indeed. We'll be going to the United States at two o'clock. Did you ever see anything like what happened on Capitol Hill in Washington last night? I was glued to the television till the early hours of this morning. Anyway, we'll be talking to uh, John M. Shanahan and Suzanne Lynch in the States on the show after two and love is in the air and late lunch this afternoon yes the matchmaker Sharon Kenny is with us as well but we begin today with the story of last year and it looks like early this year at least yes the restrictions are back and they're back big time in Ireland because coronavirus is at the highest level it's ever been over a thousand people now hospitalized in the country and you can't but switch on the news you know this yourself it's the headlines everywhere and every day we wait the numbers and those who've passed away it's just shocking now I'll bring you back to the spring of the year April time And a book appeared very, very quickly. It was called Coping with Coronavirus, How to Stay Calm and Protect Your Mental Health. And its author is Professor of Psychiatry at Trinity College, Dublin, and Consultant Psychiatrist at Tala Hospital, Brendan Kelly. He joined us in April. He was back with us during the summer and he's on the line again today. Brendan, Happy New Year. Thanks for joining me. Happy New Year. Thank you very much for having me, Jerry. You're welcome again to the show. Well, Brendan, I didn't think we'd be making this uh, a regular occurrence of going back to you. But Brendan, seriously, I I feel it myself. I I have to be honest with my listeners and you today. This was a real blow. We got sort of some hope of uh, celebrating Christmas and now it's back worse than ever. Brendan, what do you say to people listening today? People are struggling. 
People are struggling. This was a setback. This was a real blow. And I know a lot of people out there are feeling this today. People who maybe lost their jobs or lost some work. And indeed, people who've lost family members who have been ill, who've lost their peace of mind as well. It's a, it's quite a profound um, change. And, uh, you know, the, the concern, the worry, the anxiety, the frustration is palpable, I feel. I feel it's very, very palpable at the moment as these new restrictions are announced. What's interesting, though, is, is that this, this time it's different. This tightening of the restrictions is different to the last times. And one of the key reasons is vaccination is commencing. It's starting to roll out in its steady, slow way, but it is, it is rolling out. So for those who feel that this, this time is darker than it has ever felt, I think we can say that the light at the end of the tunnel is brighter than it has ever been owing to the possibility of vaccination. So there is that silver lining, Brendan. It is different. I, I, I just shudder to think what it would be like if we were here and we had no vaccine on the on the front on the uh, on the way. But it is being rolled out, as you said. So there is a positive thought for people to ponder on. What else, Brendan? You know, if you're at home, your children aren't going to school. You're trying to work from home. Uh, you know, uh, trying to manage a house, pay the bills. It's not easy, Brendan. There are many, many challenges there, and a lot of those are in the mind, in the head. Well, yes, and certainly the solutions and how we can manage them is both in our heads and, if you like, in our bodies, in our actions, our behaviours. So, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the pressure being placed on the home, the family home or the home where you live is enormous now with people who, uh, you know, love each other, spending a lot of time together and finding each other to be uh, slightly irritating at times. Uh, and navigating these challenges and being aware of them is so important, looking after things like sleep and diet and taking taking time to do activities that turn us off from COVID, you know, the activities that absorb us. Um, you spoke there, uh, Jerry, about taking down decorations, but a lot of household activities can absorb us completely. Gardening is a very, very good one. Things like knitting, we can become absorbed. And now more than ever, we need to prioritize activities that absorb us and keep us away from the constant stream of negative news that can be so depressing and so overbearing in our lives. So that is a key piece of advice for people. I know, Brendan, you mentioned the crafts there and more and more people are taking them up. There's the cookery. Of course, people are probably sick. They probably say to me, we've made enough banana bread for our lifetimes. But seriously, cooking is another good distraction. Reading, Brendan, what about getting back into reading books and enjoying them and losing yourself in that world? Yeah, anything that in which you lose yourself for a period of hours. And, you know, with regard to the banana bread glut that is um, uh, sort of all over the world, we need to remember the purpose of baking the banana bread is not the banana bread. It's the absorption in an activity, I, ideally one that doesn't require, you know, constant um, thinking, one that is semi-automatic and involves actions. And these are things like, like gardening. For some people, running, going on a run on their own within their... Um, uh, five kilometer limit can be very helpful too and help them to, you know, nourish, provide a period of nourishment for our inner lives because, you know, we are being stressed at the minute. We are being put upon. We are being restricted and we do need to recognize that, be compassionate towards ourselves above all else and 
to realise we all need time apart. However we engineer the time apart in our homes, we do need to engineer it, be it watching a movie on your own, be it going out for a walk on your own. Time together is good. Time apart can be even better in some situations. Yes, and you can create that time apart. As you said, you can be in the same house or same building or same room, but reading you're doing something different, watching your film, it's very, very good advice. What about staying in contact? Like Zoom became uh, the buzzword of 2020, and of course it's going to play its part again for lots of people. But just even, Brendan, hitting that dial on your phone, the phone I have sitting here beside me now, and making a call to somebody maybe that you haven't spoken to in a while, that's so important as well, that connectivity. Yes, and we we do need to prioritise that and we should be honest when we connect with each other. So, for example, many of us are worried about certain things. Should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? And when we share these worries with other people, okay, when we're worried and and we tell somebody, the main beneficiary of that um, is the other person because they will recognise their own worries in what you tell them. We are very, very similar as people and we all have the same irrational worries as well as the rational worries and you know we we can all think a little bit off the beam from time to time and sharing that with other people is really really strengthening and really really it's you know it's just incredibly helpful when we can do that be it with family be it with friends particularly older adults many of whom have been essentially cocooning um, all Mm. the time Despite the easing of restrictions, you know, our own anxiety can be the greatest restriction. And I respect that position when people are just too anxious to come out and about. But they, you know, people do need to understand it is important to go out of the house and going for a walk with members of your own household um, each day is very important within the 5km limits and if you meet anyone stay distanced and use the face covering and all of that very important but getting out of the house for the walk is absolutely vital for physical and mental health let's come back to you, our thoughts there you mentioned rational a moment ago of course you have irrational and you have positive and negative thoughts there's nothing wrong with negativity coming into your mind and it, it, it will come in it's inevitable or irrational stuff but how do you work that round or how do you you know uh, look think about those or analyze them in a way that you can you know leave the negativity or the irrationality behind you and turn them slightly Well, it's really important to bear in mind that our minds, our brains, for some reason, are attracted to negative thoughts. So when you're in a negative thinking spiral, it is useful useful to remember that you are always focusing on the negative far more than the positive in every situation. And we see this a lot when people who use social media are immediately attracted to the most negative, outrageous and unbelievable uh, statistics and conspiracies. And even though we logically know they're not true, they still have an emotional impact. So it's good not to amplify these negative thoughts by sharing them with sharing them with other people. It's good to be aware of our negative filter. Um, and then if you are caught in a trap of negative thinking, You might not be able to think your way out of it, but you can behave your way out of it. You can do something, a physical action, putting on your coat and going out that front door, taking the dog out for a walk, something like that. A behavior, an action will interrupt a negative thought spiral far better than uh, thinking will interrupt a negative thought spiral. So, you know, the message is to do something. So if you're, you know, having negative thoughts and you walk outside and it rains, immediately 
um, your thinking has changed from the old thought to the new one. You cannot deny the effect of these bodily actions. So, you know, in terms of negative thoughts, be aware of the negative filter, but also try and do things that interrupt those thoughts. There are things, and you spoke to me about this before, that we can control. And of course, there's a lot outside of our control. It's well leave those things outside of our control to wherever they should be, to others and other situations. We can't influence them, Brendan. Well, this is so important, Jerry, because, you see, we focus on what we cannot control. We might focus on, you know, international statistics about the pandemic and they might make us feel bad. But there is so much we can control. So we know that if we stick to the public health guidance, we stay at home uh, for the month of January. Or if we go out, we stay within 5 km, we wear the face covering with physical distance, we hugely reduce our risk. Um, And that's something we can control. Um, So we have more power than we think. And also, to return to the vaccination issue, um, when vaccinations come, we have the power to take a really big step there. And I might mention, if if you will permit it, that I got a vaccination because I'm privileged to be a healthcare worker and I was vaccinated here in Tala University Hospital on Tuesday. And um, it's just so great to feel that, you know, what one is contributing to being safer and keeping other people safe. And I should add that the vaccine itself was... uh, was was a very small little jab. It was much less than the flu jab, and I've had no side effects at all. Um, it's as if nothing happened, um, which which is marvelous. And hopefully, it will roll out and help help this time, this lockdown. We have this extra tool, and hopefully, this will push us over the line with the pandemic. Uh, well done, Brendan, and I'm with you on that one. As soon as my turn comes, I'll be getting it as well. Now, look, just before we finish today, I want to come back to this wonderful book you wrote in Jig Time back in April, and it's fantastic, I have to say. You sold it for just 99 cent or a euro, and you gave all the proceeds uh, to help in this fight with the uh, COVID-19 situation. It's called Coping with Coronavirus, How to Stay Calm and Protect Your Mental Health. Where can it be got? I'm, it's still available, I take it, Brendan. Oh, yes, it is. So it can be downloaded from Merion Press, M-E-R-R-I-O-N Press website, or indeed from Amazon or anywhere. If you just pop in Coping with Coronavirus, uh, Brendan Kelly, you'll find it for about a euro. We actually wanted to make the book free, but it turns out you're not allowed to do that. So uh, the euro that you pay for the electronic book is will go to the... Um, uh, any profits go to the Irish Red Cross and you can download it in just two little clicks onto your phone or your tablet or your computer or whatever you have. Or indeed, if you prefer a, a hard copy, it's available uh, printed as well from um, any any bookseller, Eason's, um, Amazon and so forth. And it's trying to give some of this kind of advice to help us through what is a difficult time, but a time that we can cope with once we organise ourselves. Fine words, Brendan, and it's great to talk to you again. And you've given us plenty of food for thought and pointers there to get us through the next couple of months. Coping with coronavirus, how to stay calm and protect your mental health. I have it. Get it. It will be of huge benefit to you. I promise. Brendan, until the next time, and I'm sure there will be a next time. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. That's uh, Professor Brendan Kelly there, Professor of Psychiatry at Trinity College, Dublin, and Consultant Psychiatrist at Tala Hospital.
On late lunch earlier in the week, we paid tribute to the late, great Liam Riley. And Liam, Liam was laid to rest today in his hometown, Dundalk. And Father Noel Kyo, who uh, said the Requiem Mass, uh, Father Noel had lovely words to say about Liam. He said he was a Nikon, decent, good, kind, witty and remarkably talented. His songs touched people. His genius really captured the experience of emigration. True words indeed from Father Noel Kyo. And Liam's sisters, uh, Evelyn and Barbara, spoke at his mass earlier today. And we are going to have a little listen back to the lovely words from the sisters to their late brother, Liam. Liam was my little brother and a little skither by times. When my friends and I had some teenage angst and required privacy, up popped your man making jokes and interrupting us. I was mad, but they loved him because he made them laugh. We won lots of medals at the fascists, so Liam and his mate Mudge thought it would be a good idea to sell his and mine to buy cigarettes. I went ballistic when I found out. In later years, we squeezed into the seller's bar to hear changes, the band that Geordie, Liam, Kevin, Christie and Jim had. They were brilliant. The guys often went for a swim in Black Rock afterwards, vaulting the wall to get in. I used to drive out and keep vigil, worried about them. But when I would hear they were out safely, I had to speed away in case I was caught big-sistering him. He was a very caring brother. One time I got a bad dose of food poisoning from having eaten fish and chips from a van at the square. No health and safety rules then. Liam stayed by my bedside for three days, sleeping on the floor rather than the bed beside me to care for me when I was so weak. He was his own man and he looked after himself. He would call in, say hello to mum, check who was in the kitchen, refuse the cuppa offered, except for the Red Cross parcel on Stephen's Day when he was gone off gigging, out again, tickle the ivories like no one else could and away with them. From a little fellow who had to be sent in to wash his face three times before he was clean, to the young fellow who, pray, who paid an extra tenner a week in rent in Dublin so he could have a shower every day. I watched him grow to become a successful songwriter and musician who travelled and performed all over the world and was very proud of him when he excelled himself representing Ireland in the Eurovision. Liam... In the words of John Donne, never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Our lives are diminished by the loss of our brother. Liam was my big brother and big brother to Dorina and Paula. He treated us with such tenderness from the very beginning. I remember watching a cine film where I fell at the bottom of the slide. Liam came running to help me. He was six or seven years old. I elbowed him out of the way because I was fine. And then he just ran on smiling once he knew that I was okay. He often brought me to school in his big car and deliberately bumped over the hill to make me scream. Later... When I moved to Dublin, he took me for a spin out to a fancy hotel in Dawkey for a treat. 
I felt so sophisticated. Myself and Rena both lived in his house in Shankill at one point. We ate his food. We spent from his big jar of change. He was so generous to us. Needless to say, there were plenty of late nights full of music and crack. We were so proud of him. We enjoyed going to the gigs in the early days when there might be only a handful of people there. It wasn't long before the gigs were packed. He included us in everything. We were invited to every award ceremony, every gig, and he always introduced us with pride to whoever was there. He made us belly laugh until we were ill, because he was, he was a very funny man. Myself, Mum, Dad and Harry were lucky to go to, with him to the Eurovision in Zagreb. What a fantastic experience that was. Myself, Dorina and Mike and Evelyn, we were, went to the Eurovision in Rome too. We also had many family celebrations over the years, everyone doing the party piece. Those times when we laughed and we had joy will be remembered forever. Liam had such great strength and resilience. He survived many setbacks. But Liam was a delicate soul and very sensitive, which I feel is why he was such a good songwriter. Anyone who knew Liam well knows that, like all of us, he had his demons. He fought them right to the end, never giving up, always dealing with them with humour and strength. On behalf of the family, I would like to thank Father Noel Kyo for his very kind words, which showed Liam fully, and thanks to everyone who took the time to share their memories and uh, and condolences with us. They mean so much to the family. He will be missed by all of us, and especially by his mum. We love you. We miss you. We are heartbroken. His music will live on, but in the words of his own song, it's such a great day today without you, Liam. Thank you. Yes, it certainly is a really great day. Liam Riley laid to rest and beautiful words there from his sisters, Evelyn and Barbara. And here's the song that was played earlier on today in the church to send Liam on his way. It's Johnny Put Him Up. What but sleeping in the morning when they're halfway through the day? Don't forget, if you want to join in the chat on the show this afternoon, our usual number is 086-1800-658. You can WhatsApp or text me, or if you'd like to call in, it's 1850-715-958. Let me tell you this, folks. I was settling down last evening to watch the Manchester Derby in the League Cup semi-final, United against City, and I just sort of started, and then an alert or two came in on my phone. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Talk about sport. Forget about Man U and City. Switched over to uh, CNN and I 
didn't leave the viewing until the very, maybe even late early hours of this morning. It was unbelievable. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Now, we're going to talk about what happened in Washington on Capitol Hill yesterday for the next while on the show. And first up is a man you know. He's a great friend of ours, John M. Shanahan. He's been living around the Drogheda area for a number of years, but he went home on holidays to Texas early last year. I don't mean to laugh, John, and got caught up in the coronavirus and he hasn't been able to get back to Ireland since. And we've been speaking to him through the year from the States ahead of the election, during it and immediately after it. John Shanahan, welcome back to Late Lunch. Thank you, Jerry. <clears throat> Thank you very much. It's great to be on the air with you again. And welcome to your viewers. John, I know you must have a crystal ball at this stage because I remember you telling me in early summer that firstly, uh, this man, uh, Donald Trump, the president, would first say, well, fraud, there's going to be voter fraud here. And then another time we talked, you said to me, well, he'll be on about the the mail-in ballots now. And uh, uh, prior to the election, you said he'll declare victory on the night. Everything came true, John. But tell me this honestly. Did you ever envisage you'd see what you saw yesterday? Jerry, I did not, and it was a complete shock. Um, I was watching the uh, proceedings, the, uh, the, the very orderly and disciplined proceedings in the Congress as the Congress met in joint session to certify the results of the election. And they had just started that at about quarter past the hour uh, when uh, the split-screen split camera on the television was what was monitoring the protesters outside the Capitol building in Washington. Now, as you and your viewer, you and your uh, listeners may know, um, I had worked in Washington, D.C. for a number of years prior to coming to Ireland. And so it's a place I know well, and the Capitol building is a place I've been in many, many times. Um, first of all, I was shocked that the protesters had come inside the perimeter around the Capitol. Um, and that they had been allowed to get that far. Further shocked that they were actually on the steps of the Capitol. But to my point, I was absolutely incredulous when I saw them going up the steps of the Capitol, and I started to yell. In fact, I sat sat here and yelled at the television set, no, no, just as they were beginning to breach what was a very poor barrier of policemen at the top of the steps. And at that point, it was game over. They were well on their way, breaking into the windows, the doors of the Capitol, uh, thugs, every one of them. Um, and at that point, the mayhem began. Uh, it was uh, it went on much too long. The response was much too slow. The, uh, uh, the uh, local Capitol Police had asked for the, uh, and it's a small police force, it had asked for the National Guard to be sent. Well, the problem in doing that is that uh, in Washington, D.C., because it's in a national capital district, it's not a state, <clears throat> authority for the, for the dispatch of the National Guard um, has, to be, uh, has to be done by the president. And the president, as it turns out, pardon me, as we now learn, into, learn this morning, the president refused to call out the National Guard. So in, in, in addition to egging the protesters on, telling them to go to the Capitol and raise hell, he refused to call out the National Guard. And the, the vice president of the United States, uh, although of dubious, with, with dubious legal authority, hiding under a desk as they came in, uh, was the one who called out the National Guard. So, yes, Jerry, mayhem on all counts and absolutely nothing I've seen before and hope to never see again. 
Let's have a listen to Trump himself uh, speaking uh, yesterday uh, when this all uh, took place. Listen, let's listen to what he had to say, John. I know your pain. I know you're hurt. We had an election that was stolen from us. It was a landslide election, and everyone knows it, especially the other side. But you have to go home now. We have to have peace. We have to have law and order. We have to respect our great people in law and order. We don't want anybody hurt. It's a very tough period of time. There's never been a time like this where such a thing happened, where they could take it away from all of us, from me, from you, from our country. This was a fraudulent election. What a mealy mouth man to speak the way he did there with forked tongue. And on the one hand, Johnny's saying, go home in peace. And yet on the other side, immediately he's just turning it right round and he's inciting people again. Well, he is, and he's doing it again this morning. Um, all of the social media accounts shut him out. Um, uh, he's, their accounts have, his account has just now been opened up this morning. So God knows what we're going to see on his favorite uh, platform, Twitter, uh, something that he's used instead of talking uh, to the American press in the in the press conferences in the White House. He uses Twitter, and I hope to God it never gets used again by a president of the United States. Uh, but he's but he's going to start using that this morning. But 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 to the point, he's uh, he the, the right wing media in the United States are already this morning making Donald Trump and the, uh, the, the violence, not protesters, but seditionists uh, and uh, mobsters that came in that building yesterday, making them sound like they're the victims. Um, and so we've got a long way to go, Jerry, in the United States of rebuilding trust in government. We have a whole generation of people that have been raised to believe that government is the enemy and that uh, and that this is the end result of it. This all started with a former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, in the 90s. So if you've been around long enough to remember back in 30 years ago into the 90s, uh, people will remember that the so-called Tea Party in the United States uh, declared war on government at that time. Donald Trump is the inheritor of that windstorm and so yesterday it came to fruition in a way that hope that hope to God we'll never, ever see again. But in fairness now to the legislature, they were determined to get back in there, Republican and Democrat and some of the Republicans. Well, you just have to scratch your head when you look at them, even subsequently to what happened yesterday. But that's for another day. And um, they went in. The ballots were counted. Mike Pence did what he was obliged to do by the Constitution. And Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will now be inaugurated on the 20th of January, 13 days time as president and vice president. So uh, it has won out in the end. The vote of the people has been heard and carried through. But, John, I ask you this. For the next 13 days, are you worried? Yes, I am. I'm worried. Uh, law enforcement is worried. Uh, leadership in the, in the United States is worried. Uh, responsible citizens everywhere are worried uh, because this is the kind of thing uh, that could very well be a down payment on further mayhem and not only further mayhem in the United States, but on an international basis. Um, this is a madman in the White House. 
if this sort of thing can happen at the Capitol, uh, will he decide, for example, to try to convince the military uh, to, uh, to drop a nuclear weapon on uh, some nation uh, in the uh, on the other side of the continent, other side of the other side of the globe? So yes, I'm worried very much. When this ha- when 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 things fell apart with Nixon uh, all the way back uh, in the '60s. Um, the uh, the uh, the Secretary of Defense uh, issued a memo to the all of the military that nothing was to be done with nuclear weapons without his personal authorization. Uh, very unusual move, but certainly appropriate for the time. And now here we are, a generation later, and uh, uh, we're seeing the uh, very much the same sort of thing. It's a very worrying time indeed. Let's have a listen now to the man who will be president on the 20th. And I take it there will be a big operation to secure the inauguration and keep people well at range. But let's listen to what Joe Biden had to say, the president-elect, in response to the violence yesterday on Capitol Hill. This is not dissent. It's disorder. It's chaos. It borders on sedition. And it must end. Now, I call on this mob to pull back and allow the work of democracy to go forward. You've heard me say before in different contexts, the words of a president matter, no matter how good or bad that president is. At their best, the words of a president can inspire. At their worst, they can incite. And certainly in sight they did yesterday. John, I'm going to leave it there for today. I wish you well uh, and everybody in the States over the next 13 days. Please, God, uh, the situation will be calm and that the uh, inauguration will take place and a new era will begin for the United States of America. But as you said, there's a big job to be done with so many people who believe that the state is enemy and that uh, this Fake news is what the um, media is reporting. John, we will be talking again between now and the inauguration around that time. Thank you. Stay safe. Thanks, Jerry. I will. Thanks for thanks for playing the words of a of a man with uh, County Louth family roots. We look forward to Joe Biden's inauguration. And we look forward to him visiting County Louth as President of the United States, following in the footsteps of Bill Clinton. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye. That's uh, John M. Shanahan there speaking to us from Houston in Texas. We're taking a short break and joining us then is a woman who's been with us for quite a number of years on Late Lunch. She's always great to us. She's from County Mead. She is the Irish Times Washington correspondent, Suzanne Lynch. Yes, we're continuing uh, our conversation about what happened in Washington on Capitol Hill last evening with the Irish Times Washington correspondent. She's from Trimmon County Mead. Suzanne Lynch, good morning. Good morning, Jerry. You must be up all night. I was. I've been up early anyway and, and went to bed late last night. I mean, it was an extraordinary day. It didn't end up being the day I expected it to be. I mean, we were all expecting a big day yesterday because on the 6th of January, the Congress meets to, to vote or to just to sign off on the election results. And at the same time, Trump had encouraged the supporters to come to Washington for a rally. So we knew it was going to be a busy day. I was down there talking to supporters earlier in the day, but certainly didn't see how it was going to turn out. Unbelievable scenes here. Unbelievable. We were talking to John Shanahan. He's based in uh, Houston, Texas, just before you came on there, and he just is still scratching his head. Can I ask you this? How were they caught so short on security? One of the most important buildings and people in the United States, and they virtually walked in. 
Yeah, so that's a key issue now. I think a lot of focus is on this. The first thing I think to say is, I've probably mentioned this before. So Washington, it's, it's Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia. So it's not a state. So it's a kind of a unique jurisdiction, if you like. And as a result, you've got the mayor of Washington, D.C., and she's got control of the police force. But you've also got, um, you know, a lot of government and federal buildings like the White House or the Capitol. It, so there's often a big mismatch of different law enforcement agencies um, working at the same time. And this surfaced last year during the George Floyd protest because the mayor was annoyed at Trump for deploying federal troops and that kind of thing. Now, on top of that in the mix, the U.S. Capitol building, which is the parliament essentially, it's got its own police force. Uh, and that's, I think it's about maybe 1,500 Capitol Police. And their job is to protect the Capitol building. Now, in one way, it, 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 there's a lot of security there, but in others, I know people who visited me from Ireland over here have been in the Capitol building with me. It's relatively easy, actually. It's supposed to be the people's parliament to get in and out. Now, obviously, the security and to get through to the main chamber, you know, you need to have a pass, I have a press pass and stuff. But what essentially seems to have happened yesterday was this U.S. Capitol Police were completely overwhelmed. The protesters jumped the very small barriers that were outside the back of the Capitol. And it, 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 it also, what's important to know is that the inauguration that's going to happen on the 20th of January, there was a whole kind of makeshift stand uh, that had been erected there over the last few weeks. And the protesters kind of got on top of that. And then from there, were able to kind of jump up to the steps. Mm. And then what seems to have happened, Jerry, is that they smashed the windows, got in. There's reports that maybe some of the Capitol Police allowed them to walk in. And then they went in and it seems maybe opened the doors, essentially. People came in the doors, there was nobody at the metal detectors, and they were allowed to walk in. Now, the only thing that did work, if you like, was that the Capitol Police did manage to keep the members of Congress safe. So there are two houses, it's on either side of the big dome, it's like the Dáil and the Senate in Ireland, you've got the House of Representatives and the Senate. So they're on either side of the Capitol and there are two chambers. So in those chambers, uh, the Senators and the members of the House were getting, uh, you know, going about their business. Once the Capitol went into lockdown, um, they were, uh, you know, the, the, police, the Capitol Police and Security did step in there. They kept the protesters out of those chambers and eventually evacuated those people to a secure location. There's lots of underground tunnels that connect all the buildings in the Capitol. So that bit of it worked, but the bit that didn't was that while they were trying to protect those, people were allowed to roam around all the offices and people would have seen the pictures of them mm. going into Nancy Pelosi's office, office etc. So look, it, there's huge questions. And then there was backup troops that came, but they seem to be very late. And there's now questions about what was the delay in getting the backup law enforcement there. Yeah, that, that, and that will have to be answered over the coming days. But look, at here in a general sense, this is the thing. They did reconvene. Now there is no doubt if there there wasn't any anyway, but that Kamala Harris and Joe Biden will be elected as vice president and president of the United States on the twentieth of January. The big thing as well yesterday that sort of lost really, uh, the Republicans lost Georgia. They lost the two yeah. runoffs there, and now you have the president a Democrat and the Democrats control both houses. This is the dream ticket now. It is. It's a huge, huge boost for Joe Biden. And no one thought this was going to happen. The, the challenge for Democrats was that there were these two outstanding elections, but they needed to win both of them to, you know, to get control of the Senate. One wasn't good enough. So I, if I'd been honest, I would have thought maybe they would definitely have won one. I, I didn't expect mm. them to win two. It was very tight. I remember speaking to you before on the phone from the state of Georgia when I was down there. 
um, you know, lots of history of racial injustice there, very divided kind of state. And it was so tight. I mean, it was it was an illustration uh, of, of why this is becoming such a swing state. And um, because they just, the Democrats just inch past the Republicans. Now, there's a lot of soul searching going on um, about did Donald Trump depress the turnout on the Republican side because he spent so much time talking about the, ele- the presidential election being rigged in Georgia and telling his supporters, well, these elections are all rigged that might have discouraged Republicans from going out and voting on Tuesday. But anyway, the upshot is Democrats now have control of the Senate. So this is huge because um, not only will Joe Biden be able to kind of pass more laws, but also when he nominates all these people to his cabinet, it always needs to get signed off by the Senate. So already yesterday in the middle of all the drama, he announced, for example, his new pick for Attorney General, a guy called Merrick Garland, who had been nominated by Obama to become a Supreme Court Justice, but that was blocked by the Republicans back in the, back in the time. Now he just has announced, well, I'm, I'm nominating him because he now knows he's got the votes. Democrats will have control. So really, re, you know, no matter who he nominates, really, and within reason, Democrats are going to vote for them. So, that, so that's, a re, it kind of loosens Joe Biden up in terms of what he can do now. Uh, but the Republicans, you know, are, 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 are in big, they're not in big trouble, but they've, they've got major questions to ask. Yes, they've lost these two seats and they've lost control of the Senate. And then, of course, how they respond to what's happening with their president, who has yeah. incited violence to such an extent that we saw these horrific scenes yesterday. Um, I think the Republican uh, Party, from this side, looking uh, from a distance, are, are in disarray, and there's a real split in the party now, and he's splitting it even further. But here's the thing. I, I mentioned to John a few moments ago, 13 days left before he leaves. He's announced this morning uh, that there will be a peaceful transition, even though, again, he questioned the outcome of the election. How will that ever be put to bed, or is it an impossibility? Are there still 70-plus million Americans who believe the election was stolen? Yeah, look, I was down there yesterday talking to Trump supporters and, you know, I got it all from them, the usual things. You know, no way Joe Biden would be inaugurated. Donald Trump won by his landslide, they were telling me. Now, um, what was different yesterday, though, there was a lot of anger among these supporters against Republicans up on Capitol Hill, like Mitch McConnell and Mitt Romney, who were refusing to accept Trump's bogus arguments. And they were blaming those Republicans for not standing by Trump. So, um, yeah, and you know what, one of the, last night there was lots of speeches in the Senate floor really late, and one of them was from Mitt Romney, he was a former presidential candidate himself back in the day, and he has consistently criticised Donald Trump, even though he's a Republican himself. And it was a very simple speech, but what he said, he said, look, I know how just, I lost, he said, it's not a good feeling, but, you know, it's the basic morality you need to accept when you've lost. And he said, the problem here is that the supporters who believe Donald Trump won are never going to change their minds. You know, they want, you know, no matter how many inquiries we have, they don't. He said, our biggest problem and the way to help them is to tell them the truth. He said, all we need to do is tell them the truth, saying that Donald Trump lost. And he was saying to his colleagues, you won't do that. You know, Ted Cruz and all these other senators are trying to keep it going that there was some problem about the election, even though that's not true. So he really kind of captured that's what it is. Donald Trump is saying black is white. And as long as Republicans don't call him out on that, well, then I don't think those millions of people are ever going to move on from this election. It would seem to me, and maybe you'd agree or disagree with me on this one, that yesterday was the final straw for people who may have been teetering on backing him or mm-hmm. perhaps going the other way. And when people reflect on the attack on democracy that really 
by inciting them to march there. He said he'd march with them. He did in his backside. He went back into the White House like a few weeks ago mm. when he went playing golf and let them do their own thing. Mm. I, I have a feeling this is now definitely the beginning of the end for him. Yeah, I do think there's been a change and I thought I'd never say that. But one thing that happened in the hour before all this kicked off was that Mike Pence, the vice president, actually stood up to Trump and he announced as Trump was still ranting in a speech down near the White House, Don, uh, Pence issued a statement saying, I'm not going to challenge the election results. Now, one could say the reason he said that was that he legally couldn't, and B, you know, he, he's on the way out anyway. And then shortly after, Mitch McConnell, the, the top, the head of the Republicans, also got up and made a very good speech saying to the Republicans, this is ridiculous, Joe Biden won, get over it. And that was a very significant moment. Then, of course, all the drama happened with storming of the Capitol. But we were already seeing some of those Republicans split with Trump. So I think a lot of Democrats are hopeful that Mike Pence, who, by the way, spent the entire day up at Capitol Hill with all the members of Congress, because that was that's one of his jobs as vice president, ceremonial, mm. really, what is to sit over this session of Congress that happens every four years. He reportedly, and this we're going to find out more today, was kind of running the show from there, was trying to get the extra troops in, Trump was basically just watching it all on telly from the White House. And, you know, there's been rumours here that Mike Pence has talked about invoking the 25th Amendment. That is the amendment that was inserted into the Constitution after the assassination of John F. Kennedy to deal with the peaceful transfer of power in the event uh, that a president is incapacitated. But that allows, um, gives a provision for a president to be removed if they're seen as not fit for office. But the vice president and a majority of the cabinet have to move against the president. So, you know, some people are thinking, look, Mike Pence, you know, this is your moment. You had already made the break with Donald Trump and you risked his wrath. Maybe, you know, this is the moment you could do something. And Mike Pence looked, I mean, it was very hard to read his face, but he looked shocked. And he Mm. himself was a member of Congress for many years. He knows how the whole system works. Donald Trump, of course, is a complete political newcomer. So, you know, it's early here in Washington. Let's see what happens today. We've already seen a few people resign. Mick Mulvaney, actually, just in the last few minutes, he was appointed by Trump to be the Northern Ireland envoy. And he was in Dublin and Belfast back in September. He just announced he's resigning. And he was a huge Trump supporter. Now, again, you could say, look, is it a bit cynical? Trump was on the way out anyway. Joe Biden was going to appoint someone new. But you're seeing a little bit of that this morning, that people are maybe going to start resigning. So, look... You know, we, we'll see whether they get to the point of invoking the 25th Amendment. I don't know whether they even have the time because of the procedure you have to go through. But I think you're right, mm-hmm. Jerry. I think he really has. People are shocked. It's one of these things, I think, that feels worse the next morning. People are waking up here in Washington and there's been a curfew all night. There's now a public emergency until the, 20, until the 21st of January, the day after the inauguration. Um, and just the scenes that unfolded were just utterly shocking, um, particularly mm. the fact so all those supporters were, were holding Trump flags, not American flags. Yes, well, look, I, I'd love to be the one that points the finger at him and say, you're fired. I really would. And bring him back to those days. And that's all he is, uh, a reality or an unreal, after all that's happened the last four years, a uh, television star. Susan, Suzanne, I'm really grateful to you again because I know you're up all night and we appreciate you joining us and giving us the bird's eye view from Washington as usual. Looking forward to the next 13 days and I wish you well and I encourage the listeners today, read Suzanne in the Irish Times, in the paper itself, or online every day with the real word from Washington. Thank you again and stay safe. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks. Take care. That's Suzanne Lynch there from Trim in County Meath.
I meant to mention, actually, uh, the Irish lad on CNN's coverage last night, uh, Donny O'Sullivan's his name, and he was prominent in the coverage. He's based, I know, in New York, but he was down in Washington for the uh, day yesterday, and he was brilliant. He was right on the front line with the protesters there. He's from Carsevine, and uh, nice to hear the Irish voice in the uh, coverage uh, on CNN last night, and so prominent in it as well. Paul Reid from the HSC, yes, just an update from Paul. He says... We're on target for the 35,000 vaccines we intended to get done this week. So that is good, positive news. Now, more positivity on late lunch this afternoon as we go back to a good friend of ours. Normally, she's with me in the studio, but as you know, the world is totally different. And it's different in the world of love as well, because I'm joined on late lunch today. and delighted to be joined by the matchmaker, Sharon Kenny. Hello again, Sharon. Hello, how are you? Long time no hear. Oh, Sharon, listen, we just thought of you today in the context of this next lockdown, and it looks like it could go on January, February, and perhaps beyond. Sharon, is love dead? Love has never been stronger because people are actually looking inside and becoming more fulfilled in themselves, more happy in their own skin, and they're prepared to put the work in to be more solid in relationships. So what's happening with online dating, the likes of um, Tinder and other forms, they're up 30% where where people would uh, spend more time talking to individuals. It's more like um, there's others like Bumble and they'd spend more time talking to individuals instead of dating five people at a time. So it's becoming more authentic than ever. So... You know, you are someone who made introductions and people got together. I remember you talking to me over the years how, you know, you worked, your modus operandi. But today, Sharon, and for the next while and for the, indeed, a lot of last year, people were so restricted and we really are restricted now. So we can't meet face to face. So how do you nurture love or, you know, if you can't be with a person? Well, for the people who come to me, I go through their profiles and I as always, linked like with like in as many ways as possible. It's about handling people's expectations and then understanding their expectations. And then what I do is I introduce one to the other and they go on WhatsApp and they have a chat over WhatsApp. And it's and you, you really have to learn not to chat all the time or not to keep the silence, but be able to look at each other without actually saying a word and kind of catch that moment or that glint in the eye or that special little occasion. But what people are doing is they're saying, listen, I haven't dated for ages. I'm not able for this. So you get either that side where they're nearly afraid to get out there again or you get the other side where they're out there too much. So it's a happy balance and just for those who aren't getting out, it really is about just saying, do you know what, take the bull by the horns and say, life is too short. What have I to lose? If I chat to a girl or a guy and they um, aren't for me, the next one might be. But the more you talk about yourself and inquire about them, the more you get to know yourself and you get to know what you're really looking for. So it really is back to them discovering what are their values. I mean, if they're online dating, don't take right for every second guy or every guy. Just go, I really, really, really like the sound of him or the look of him. And I, that's all you can go for on that. Like, um, there's two things in our brain that trigger when we see a photo of someone and one, uh, or we talk to someone on WhatsApp, which is so important to get to that chat, is one is, 
okay, he's attractive, she's attractive, there's something about them. And the second brain wave is, oh, they're a bit interesting or they're a bit quirky or they match me. People want to be kind of similar to the person that they date. So you can make the link, make the connection if you're out there at the moment looking for love in an online basis. That's what you're saying to me. It can happen there. But how do you yeah. then like like nurture it and, and develop it when you can't meet? Well, you can actually fall in love over the over WhatsApp. You can because <laughs> you you or you can or I shouldn't say WhatsApp, whatever social media you're talking yes. about, whether it's Zoom or whatever, or across the phone. Because you're looking once you're building up that connection and what's happening is people are opening up more than ever. So I have these kind of 36 questions to love, which are, uh, uh, which it's Dr. Arthur Avon who came up with the idea. And, and what it is, is you start with your simple questions. And it's not just what do you do, where do you go out, what do you, what I, or not go out in this case, um, what are your hobbies, what are your interests? You have to get away from those questions. Now, when I do people's profile, people would know those questions. So they go straight for who's your favourite uncle and why? And you're finding out more emotional feeling answers. Like, my favourite uncle would be my uncle Tom, and uh, and he would be my favourite uncle, and he's actually from Cavan, but he's passed away, but but he was my favourite uncle. Yes. But the reason was because he was funny and because he was quirky, and that's what I go for. So you have to know what you go for and ask the questions and get to know the questions to ask that you're not just going what you what you work at. I remember looking something up something on first dates there and it was a couple and they were talking and the guy said, I'm in uh, I'm just in sales. You don't say that. If you're in sales, you say, Okay, I'm I love my job if you do, you always have to be honest. I'm in sales because I'm good at so and so. You don't go, oh, I'm sales, it's a really boring job. You have to it's it's the best interview of your life. You're going to spend more time with this person than you do your eight hours in work, especially nowadays. So there's tips and hints and knacks and ways of, you know, getting it across to people more about yourself, who you are, what your personality like, what your character is. Therefore, you know, the online profile, because people click into profiles of that. How yeah. important are they to get them right, to be absolutely honest and to sell yourself? Oh, absolutely. They're number one. If you don't have that first six seconds of a catch about your personality, you're gone. There's too many people there. You know, if you, they say uh, for profiles to take a photo of yourself with an animal, because if that person isn't looking at you, they might go, oh, look, they're they're interested in cats. Or that's why, you know, or they're interested in uh, horses or whatever it is. You know, if you can put your passion of your sport there with you, you're a step closer to connecting to someone who has a similar interest or a similar hobby. You have to really know yourself and know what you're looking for. Like, for example, to know your values. And people say, what are values? I'm not sure what are values. Like, my values would be love. I, I Obviously, I'm a matchmaker. So love and that energy around love. And health is very important to me. So I'd be interested in healthy eating. So I couldn't go out with someone 20, 30 stone who wasn't interested in what they were eating and didn't give a damn about that. So that value would have to match my value. And then, as I said about my uncle, bubbly is important to me because I love that crack. And then adventurous, okay, that's another value. So you have to know what's important. I go for confidence, 
misguide because I'm a confident person. So you, you have to know what you go for. Even if you're a confident person, you say, Do you know what, I don't mind an introvert once he knows himself or I don't mind an extrovert once they're not too cocky. Know yeah. the kind of person. And someone who contributes is so important to me. I can't take or date someone who, or wouldn't date someone who is a taker all the time. He'd have to give as well. I, I need to see him being compassionate. So don't waste your time dating people who are not for you, which is happening all the time, because learn to respect yourself and be happy enough in your own skin that you don't have to go and, and kind of look at a guy or a girl as a crutch. Look at them as to enhance you and not to be as much part of you, but to be that separate entity to add to your life. Not to, like when someone says, oh, you know, he has to make me laugh. That's a load of rubbish. Make yourself laugh and, <laughs> you know, and laugh with him. And laugh with him. Not he has to make me laugh. When I do profiles and people say that, I say you need to laugh together. Not he yeah. has to make me laugh. You know, here's here's something for you. I'm thinking, right? So yeah. people uh, search through profiles. They hook up now online, and they develop a relationship online. And there's phone calls and zooms and everything. And yeah. when this lockdown comes to an end, which it inevitably will, and the country will open up, which it will later on in the year yeah. with vaccination, etc. When you meet, you know, you meet this person. Uh, and you feel then, after all you've done, well, you know something, it's just not right for me. You're not getting that spark then. Is it just so important then to cut and walk away? Well, a lot of people, if they're talking to each other for about a month or two months, they would have passed the kind of like, okay, yes, they would want to kind of uh, develop more desire okay. depending on the age group. But no, you don't walk away. You kind of... You kind of see that person. You're, if you're talking to them for two months, you know there's something about them. You've seen that glint in their eye. You've felt that chemistry. You've discussed it. If after two months you haven't discussed, like, do you know I feel a connection with us? I like the way that we connect in this level or that. If you haven't discussed that, uh, discussed that you're going nowhere. So you have to be strong in yourself to say, do you know what, I love your adventure side or I, I love the idea that you want to do this when this is over. So it's okay to talk about the future. But if, yes, you're right, Jerry. you know, if you meet and you go, oh my gosh, they're nothing like they said they were um, mm. in relation to, but over two months, that wouldn't happen nowadays. It would happen in the past over three dates, they'd meet up, no chemistry. If you're talking to someone for a month or two, you're going to build a connection. And what people build connections over is vulnerability more than anything else. It's like when people let down their barriers and let someone in. And they, that's where they grow the connections, through those vulnerabilities. But you need someone there to... You don't, you don't want you, you to be careful of what needs you want met. So if you think of yourself as a circle and them as a square and you're trying to shove that circle inside the square and those areas that aren't met, if they're part of your top values, walk away from them. Don't give up. Like, say, example, a, a perfect example would be if you're in your late 30s and you want a child and you meet a guy and you say, oh, he's gorgeous, he's so much fun, he's whatever, and he doesn't want children, walk away. If it's a value and if it's very important to you, Stick by what you want. 
It's a different time. It certainly is for relationships, developing them, meeting somebody, working on them. And it's interesting to hear what you have to say. But you have segued into this new world as well. And very successfully, I have to say, Sharon, I've been just looking at all the people who've been coming back to you and that you've been working with in recent times. So for somebody listening today who's looking for a relationship, looking for a bit of advice or whatever, best way to contact you again is? Sharon at thematchmaker.ie. They can email me there or else thematchmaker.ie is the website. I can give you my phone number if you like. Shout it out there. 0860-711-711. Very simple. That's a great number. 711-711. Oh, it's a great number. There'll be no bother getting people giving you a shout with a number like that. It just rolls off the tongue so easily. Sharon, lovely Uh, to touch base with you. Talk to you again soon and wish you well. You too. Happy New Year to you and your team. Many Take happy care. returns. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Sharon there, the matchmaker. And again, our number is 086-0711-711. It's a great number. Or Sharon at thematchmaker.ie. Love in strange times. It's not easy. It certainly isn't. Back in a moment after the short break. There are lots of people today taking down the decorations, putting them away till next year. And if you're at it at the moment or will be this evening, Father Robert McCabe from Navin Parish has a suggestion. Father Robert, afternoon. Hello, Jerry. Hello to your good listeners. How are you? Happy New Year to you all. And many happy returns to you and everybody in Navin. Tell us the idea you've come up with. Jerry, a little little bit of um, work for people happens this day when after a little Christmas Day, they begin to wrap up everything for another year. The, the, the decorations, they're putting the lights away, making sure that before they put the lights away, that all the lights are working so they don't have to go looking to fix one of them next year. And they're going to be wrapping up as well the crib figures. And I'm, I've become very conscious that so many people were had a very different Christmas this year. And in Navan, over the last over the last week or so, we we made a little prayer card which we left beside the crib with a little bit of straw from the crib in Navan. And on the prayer on on the little leaflet, we we left um, space for four for four groups of people to be filled in by by people as they're as they're packing away their crib figures and their decorations. And the idea is that that they'll write in this. In, on, on this little sheet of paper and pick it up next December when they go back to the attic, when they go into the back of the press that they only visit once a year and they take out the box of Christmas decorations and their little crib and say, this, these are the people who are with us back in Christmas 2020, a Christmas we'll never forget. But just because the worst ink is better than the best memory, it's good to write these things down. And yeah. I've been asking parishioners in Avon to to pop in when they're out on their 5K radius walk and pop in, say a prayer beside our crib. We've got plenty of safe spacing in our, in our church here in St. Mary's and they can approach the crib with their, with their family and take one of these little cards and bring it home and fill out those four sections. And the four sections are, number one, those people who were with you this Christmas. The people who managed to make it home, who were able to spend Christmas Day with you, that you can write their names down and cherish their memory. Number two, the people who couldn't travel. I have two brothers and a sister in Australia and they they would try to get home at some stage during the year and certainly Oliver loves being home for Christmas and we missed him, really missed him in Kinnegad this, this Christmas. And 
right around the county, there are different people who stayed away from their family because there are people isolating for Christmas. And they wanted to make sure that they were, they had the best chance if they were cocooning. So there's different people who couldn't actually visit their family this Christmas. And it's important yep. to remember them. And the third group of people were asking people to write down are those who died since last Christmas. Last Christmas, so many people gathered and had a lovely time together. They they had memories that they said, oh, sure, look, we'll, we'll see you again next Christmas. And between... 2019 and 2020, so many people have died in our in our parish and around our community, and it's important to remember the, those names. Some of them are written down on headstones already. The headstone has been has been carved out, or people got in their Christmas cards. They got a memorial card from from families who've been bereaved, and I think yeah. it's worth worthwhile writing those names down. And finally, and finally. Finally, the people who are new in your family, a new grandchild, a new in-law, people who are who have added to the joy of your family. And our wish here in Navan is that that we'll be alive and well next Christmas when we take these out of the attic, that we can look back in that little list and say, thanks be to God for those people and please God, this Christmas will be very different for us. Father Robert McKay, brilliant, great idea. Pick it up in Navin when you call in there. And if you can't get to Navin, make your own list. Do as Father Robert says there and take it out and reflect on it in a year's time. Thank you so much for giving us that lovely little message today. Take care of yourself. It's on the website as well. Yeah. Thanks indeed, Father Robert McCabe there from Navin Parish uh, speaking to us on Late Lunch this afternoon. Yes, an appropriate song for the day that's in it. It's Mr. Neil Diamond. And we've been talking a lot about the United States of America. Here he is, Neil and America. You know, if you're a regular late lunch listener that I worked for years with P&T Telecom Aircom. And I want to say a big hello and thank you this afternoon to Paddy Brennan. Paddy, thanks very much indeed, who dropped in lovely calendar for the year ahead with loads and loads of photos from the post office, from Telecom Aircom era as well. It's great to see all those faces and memories of people who have gone and who are still alive and great days we spent there. But a big thank you and happy new year to Paddy Brennan. And thanks again, Paddy, for thinking of us this year, 2021. And uh, I was just uh, had my ear on the dead notices there today and um, Michael Byrne from Pierce Park in Drogheda, um, his death was announced today. And I just want to mention him because a lot of sports fans listening today in County Louth would know him. Michael was a huge GAA fan and especially of Louth. He went to see Louth wherever they played and he was a great man for walking on the fields as well. I used to see him pass by my house here most days with his little terrier dogs as he walked out the uh, Ballamakenny Road here. You'd meet him on the term Feckin Road, Baltray. That man walked for Ireland. He really did. And he walked up until very recently as well. And he was a good age. I'm sure he was a good age, Michael. But may he rest in peace. And I just wanted to mention Michael Byrne today on Late Lunch. Uh, your comments, thanks indeed. Maraid's been on to say, Jerry, it's time to get the fellows with the white coats to take that imbecile away before he does more harm. Was watching it too, like yourself. Did you notice, Jerry, the lack of masks with the majority of protesters? It's absolutely terrible, says Maraid. Well, you see, those people don't believe. They don't believe that coronavirus is an issue. They don't believe the election results. You now have millions of people in America who believe nothing, who just believe falsities and are convinced by them as well. And that's the huge challenge for the states 
for this incoming government of Biden. I wouldn't like to be him. He has to tackle this coronavirus and it's going to get worse before it gets better. The economy's in tatters over there. He will, which I'm delighted uh, to say, re-engage with nuclear treat, uh, treaties around the world. He will uh, go back into the WHO, which is very important as well, and other aspects of international uh, relations that have fallen by the wayside. So we'll uh, watch this space with interest, but 13 days of the other fella still to go. Oh, my word. I hoped uh, last night was a lesson to him. I really do. But will it be? We'll watch this space. Now, my featured artists of the week this week on Late Lunch are the Bee Gees. And today's track, it's taken from the album Trafalgar, which was was released in 1971. And listen to this. This song, I couldn't believe this. It didn't chart in the UK charts. It made nowhere in the UK charts at the time, but went to number one in America. And it was the Bee Gees First number one. Enjoy. How can you mend a broken heart? Yeah, the Brothers Gibb. That actually was their original name. That was the name they were called before they became the Bee Gees, the Brothers Gibb. But that's the Bee Gees there. And how can you mend a broken heart? The name of the documentary, I say to you again, that's showing if you have Sky on that there, watch it. Really, really interesting. And our final song from the Bee Gees coming your way at the same time tomorrow, late lunch. Friday. Now we head into our final break of this Thursday afternoon and I see a lovely picture here Eamon Doyle sent to me of the River Boyne frozen in 1940. I remember my late father Brendan talking about that up this end of the woods in the Drogheda area around that time as well. Incredible to see the river actually frozen. We'll hardly plummet to those temperatures. Anyway keep the heating on, light the fires and keep warm. That's the message. But up next on the show today, frontliners. There are people on the front line every day looking out for us and we're going to have a chat in a few moments to Dr. Ahmed Jamal. My final guest of the day is a senior emergency medical physician at Our Lady's Hospital in Navin and Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda. I'm delighted to say hello again to Dr. Ahmed Jamal. Afternoon. Hi, good afternoon, Jerry. How are you? I'm really good and thank you for joining me uh, from the front line today. Tell them first, you've got your jab. I got my jab at 12 o'clock today, Jerry, and I'm perfectly feeling fine. And contrary to, I haven't turned into a zombie or anything yet. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, actually, uh, staff is getting a COVID-19 vaccine uh, since yesterday in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital, Drogheda, and they're covering the frontline staff, that is emergency medicine, uh, intensive care unit staff, COVID ward staff first, and it's continuing in the next few days to uh, other members of staff. Ah, uh, that's great. So it has been rolled out on the front line in the hospital. Tell me this, Dr. Jamal, you are in there every day facing uh, lots of scenarios, but COVID, have you ever seen anything like the numbers and what you're experiencing at the moment? Uh, actually, in the last couple of weeks, the numbers there have increased more than actually we expected. In the first wave, that is in March, and which continued into early summer and then middle of summer, uh, I would say we were not overwhelmed uh, to the extent that we were expecting. Uh, however, in last uh, couple of weeks, the numbers have increased very significantly, uh, more in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda than Nalan. Uh, but in uh, talking to my colleagues in other hospitals around the country, it's exactly the same. 
Ah, right. So you have a similar experience to elsewhere. Do you worry for your own personal safety when you're in there? Uh, we do. Basically, the only difference between the early stages of COVID-19 and now is that uh, awareness is actually much more. Second thing is there's no shortage of PPE. Everybody knows exactly what to do. And at the same time, the other encouraging thing is that the treatment, you know, the, it, it was a completely new virus. Nobody knew there had been different treatments proposed. But now the people are being treated in the hospital and the outcome is relatively better, you know, and uh, but still, yes, there is an element of anxiety in the frontline staff because when you're going to a patient who is known to be COVID-19 positive, of course, you wear your PPE, you take all the precautions. However, when you're dealing with everybody, say somebody's coming to us with an ankle injury or a toe injury, we don't know. We still have to get close to that patient to examine them. We don't know that they could be positive. And at this stage, you know, 20% of the people who are being tested are becoming positive. And there's so many people who are not being tested and could be carriers. So you have to be very cautious of that. You have to take all the necessary precautions. Of course, you don't get up with full PPE with every patient. That's not, uh, uh, you know, viable resources-wise. So there is an element of anxiety, but frontline staff being vaccinated uh, will relieve that anxiety to a considerable extent. Yes, and it's really good news. You mentioned PPE there, and of course you are, as a medical professional, always used to taking care, washing your hands, cleanliness, you know, covering up as well. But this is different. There's a lot more equipment to be worn to keep you safe. Is that awkward to work under those circumstances? It is uh, It is awkward, and no matter how much used to you get with wearing that PPE, but those masks, you know, you know the FFP3 or 2 masks are not like your ordinary surgical masks. Uh, you know, like a colleague of mine pointed out to me yesterday that I have a mark on my nose with wearing the tight mask for a few hours. So uh, you feel like going out every couple of hours to uh, take a bit of breathing space, as you say, and, you know, you're able to take that mask off. However, in your clinical area, you have to keep it on all the time. So it is, yes, I would say it is uncomfortable at times, uh, but you do get used to it. But you need, you do need breaks uh, from that. Yes, Uh, yes. Uh, However, with vaccine coming, you know, it will not be replacing PPE. It will not be replacing precautions. And for everybody, vaccine is not going to be replacing your need to uh, wash your hands, desanitize your hands and keep your social distancing for foreseeable futures. Now, that is interesting because people think it's the panacea, but it's not. And it's good to hear you say that we must continue to do what we're being asked for the foreseeable future. And that will continue in healthcare as well. Um, the pressure and uh, the time, you know, at this time of the year, winter time, you normally have pressure anyway on the service. But uh, to finish today, what do you say to listeners? What's your appeal being a frontliner to listeners? How can we help you best? Uh, Jerry, the best way we can help 
not only the frontline staff, but of the elderly population, our elderly relatives, and people who would need the hospital for other illnesses than COVID-19, because emergencies do not stop, is number one, stay at home, follow the guidelines, wear masks everywhere that you have to, wash your hands, desanitize your hands as frequently as possible. But the main thing is to reduce your contacts as much as possible and stay at home unless it's absolutely necessary for you to meet somebody. And if you have to, you take all the necessary precautions. Uh, and one more thing is that GP services are available, doctor on call is available, and if there is something that you can do without attending emergency departments in the hospitals, and uh, you do that uh, because uh, it is not safe for the emergency departments, and it's not safe for people in the waiting areas either if they don't have to be there. So uh, attend the hospitals when it's absolutely necessary to attend the hospital. I know it's very difficult that you do not visit your sick relatives in the hospital, but in that relation, if you cooperate with the uh, hospital staff that, you know, in extraordinary circumstances, of course, some visits will be allowed, but generally visiting is discouraged. So that's how you can help the frontline colleagues. Thank you indeed. We're going to leave them with that message today. Dr. Jamal, thank you for all you're doing for us and to all your colleagues as well. We really do appreciate it and we wish you well. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Jerry. Thank you. Take care of yourself. That's Dr. Ahmed Jamal there and he's on the front line. He's an emergency medical physician at Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda. Nigel McKenna has been on to us from New York and he says, Jerry, just to let your listeners know what happened yesterday on Capitol Hill is not representative of the vast majority of people in the United States of America. It's a great country. I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you, Nigel. Nice to hear from you. Listen to this. I have to read this before we leave today. Hi, Jerry. I pulled over from driving to tell you this little story. In 1979, I spent six weeks with my aunt who lived in Miami, Miami Beach. Lucky me, my only picture of America then was Dallas. Anyway, she lived near Barry Gibbs' house and at the time, Saturday Night Fever was huge. I even brought her to a cinema to see it. She was so taken in by the fame after seeing it that she drove me to his house gate thinking I could ring and say hello to him. I'm here from Ireland. I went to the bell innocently, stopped and read the note under the bell and it said, Fans, well-wishers, please do not ring this bell. Your interest is appreciated, but my home life is essential. Thank you, Barry Gibb. I quickly returned to the car and lo and behold, the gates opened. A baby Merc drove out with blackened windows. I'm sure it was him. Happy New Year, Jerry. I love it. Thank you indeed to Grania Lynn for sending me that lovely story about the Bee Gees. Decluttering, gardening with Nikki Kyle and consumer expert Jill Kirby on late lunch tomorrow. Eddie's coming next with The Drive. We're leaving you today with Ronan Keating. No, we're not. We're not. We're not. Ronan's gone. <laughs> Thanks, Eamon. Sorry, I thought I still had time to squeeze Ronan in. I'll tell you, Deirdre Hurley will be delighted we hadn't time to squeeze him in. Anyway, we're not having Ronan Keating, but tomorrow we will have Nikki Kyle. Seeds, potatoes, looking ahead to the gardening year, decluttering. Yes, it's a good time of the year to do it. And Jill Kirby, what about those parcels, those orders from the UK with Brexit now in? Jill has all the info for us and more besides the Bee Gees as well. And you, of course, make sure you join us on the show. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive. See you tomorrow. Have fun. 
The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Our service departments are open with all HSE and government guidelines in place to keep you and our staff safe. Sales are click and collect only through our website blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The secret to summer ready skin is here. Osea's number one best selling Andaria algae body oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com.